So let's talk doors. Some of you may remember the show years ago, or the updated version. I think there's an updated version. Let's make a deal. There's this opportunity where the contestant in their crazy costume take the $1,000 or swap it for what was behind door number one, which could be a brand new car, a trip to some exotic location, or a pet goat. You never knew what you'd get. So at the end of the show, I think, was the big one, right, where you chose either door number one, door number two, or door number three, and you really never knew what was behind any of those doors. It could be something that would fulfill your wildest dreams, or it could be a total dud. Now, the key behind that was that on the other side of those doors was either something wonderful or something that was a dud, and you didn't really have any control over it. All you could do was choose. Now, for years, I, t- I tended to see God's will or God's direction in my life in the same way. I as a variation of, let's make a deal. I can make deals with God. God, I'll read my Bible every day. I'll go to church every Sunday. I won't think bad thoughts anymore. I'll promise to be more committed to serve more, all with the intent of bartering bartering with God a good deal or something sweet for my life behind the next door. Now, the problem was, it still seemed like rolling the dice on my future, and I still wasn't sure what would be on the other side of that door that it might be something I didn't want or something I didn't want to do. And by the way, did you ever notice that, at least I did in college, that I came out of college with this mindset that if I really didn't want to do it, then it must be God's will. Because that, again, would be sort of carried my cross. It never occurred to me that possibly something that brought me joy, something that made me feel alive, something that access to my gifts and my talents and my abilities would actually be something God would have for me. This is how I used to view God's will till years ago when I was asked to decide a job change in my ministry, my ministry calling. So I went to see a mentor of mine. You've heard this before, so I apologize for being redundant, but it underscores for me the shift in my life. I went to see this seminary instructor of mine who was a mentor. I was just finishing up. And I was being asked to switch from being a pastor, which I had been for five years, my first pastorate, to a position as an assistant superintendent for the yearly meeting in which I was serving. And I struggled with it. I really did. I felt I was called to be a pastor. I knew I would still be doing ministry, but I really, really, really felt like this next position would access my gifts, my abilities, and the person that invited me to work with in the superintendent could serve as a really, really super mentor and someone who I could really learn from. So I went to this instructor of mine, and I sort of laid out for him this whole idea of God's will, how it felt like, let's make a deal. I think I used other metaphors, like it feels like a blueprint, and if I mess up this blueprint, the whole universe is going to be out of kilter, like I had the power to do that, or like it was a maze with a lot of cheese at the end, you know, and I just had to follow this maze and somehow figure that out. And he he sat there, and he had his goatee, and he kind of stroked his goatee a bit, and he says, well, I think about it this way, Scott. I believe God says... Do what you want to do. Just remember to love God and love people. And I said, wait a minute. Do what I want to do? Isn't that kind of risky? He said, well, I did qualify it by saying love God and love people. But just do what you want to do and love God and love people. Now, for me, that was liberating. For me, that was freeing. But it also did something else. 
it put the responsibility of the decision squarely back on who? Me. Before me was an opportunity. It was a doorway leading to an opportunity, and I needed to make the decision as to what I would do. This wasn't a responsibility I could delegate to someone else. Couldn't tell Linda, you tell me what to do. I was looking for something in the sky that was written that said, Scott, here's what you should do. The responsibility was back on me. It was my decision and my choice to make. John Ortberg, pastor and author, describes God's will this way. Very often, God's will for you will be this. I want you to decide. Because decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. God is primarily in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business which has all sorts of ramifications for open doors in our life. God is more interested in the formation of our character and our ability to make decisions and make choices with God's wisdom than it is on whether God is going to shape and change some circumstance so it fits exactly perfectly the way I need it, which I would rather have God do. I give God the blueprint. God works it all out, and then I know exactly what I need to do. Where God says, look, life is life. But I'm going to give you all the wisdom and the ability and the insight you need to make a decision. And decisions can be risky. Stepping into them can feel very, very scary. But the opposite is equally true as well. Staying stuck for the rest of one's life can be very risky as well. So one of the images in Scripture that often signals divine opportunity is that of the door. Now, you've heard some of these verses before. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And then another one in Revelation, which I'll come back to in a few moments. I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. Now, when you see a door or you hear about a door in Scripture, its meaning really comes down to this. It is a boundless opportunity, unlimited chance to do something worthwhile. Grand openings into new and unknown adventures of significant living or unimagined chances to do good to make our lives count. Not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not challenging. But when you see those doors in Scripture, those doors of opportunity, people in Scripture being called into new ventures new experiences. It's their choice to step into it and make their lives count. Something significant, something adventurous, something new and unknown, something maybe they never even imagined in their life, something that scares them half to death. And you can start naming some of those. Noah, Moses, Abraham. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews where It says, Abraham obeyed God, even though he had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where this was taking him. He just simply obeyed each prompting and each nudging and stepped through each door as it came. And we'll come back to the open doors in a minute. I want to look this morning just for a few moments at these doors that are locked out of fear, the ones that Kevin read about. It's after Jesus' death and resurrection. Disciples are still trying to make sense of everything that happened, also dealing with their sense of disillusionment. And they were very disillusioned. This wasn't supposed to happen this way. 
this person they followed, who they thought would be the king and the Messiah, which they found out later he was, but their idea of a king and a Messiah was much completely different. He would overthrow the government. He would overthrow the Romans. He would overthrow all the Jewish leaders, and they would be number one. Instead, what does he do? He gets executed, literally. That's what it was. It was an execution. And so now what's happening is the Jewish leaders and the temple leaders, they're looking for everybody that was complicit with Jesus. So for that reason, the disciples met to decide what to do, but they did so behind these locked doors. And I think about fear, and I think about those disciples, and I think about how fear will often cause us to take the open doors before us and to slam them shut and lock them up. They had this divine opportunity to keep the mission moving for Jesus, to keep the mission of God's kingdom going forward, but because they didn't quite understand or because they were fearful, they retreated behind these locked doors. This divine opportunity to carry forward Jesus' message lay before them, but their fear caused them to stay stuck in a room on lockdown. Now, my fears do that. My fears can keep me stuck behind locked doors rather than stepping through these open doors of divine opportunity. It's our decision to make, but we pass on making a decision because we've decided there's just too much risk, and we succumb to our fear. Maybe a few of these. We pass on trying something new due to a fear of failure, something we've never done before, something we never thought we would engage in, going back to school, taking a class, but we don't because we fear failure. We choose to not see a counselor or get some important internal work done for fear of being vulnerable and possibly having to face our issues. We miss an opportunity to work on our marriage for fear of what we might have to face or how we might have to change. We lock up when it comes to sharing what we believe or how we... or how we see things for fear of rejection or ridicule. Ever leave a conversation or ever leave a meeting and you say what? I wish I had said this. This is what I believed, but instead we just what? Kind of nodded our head in agreement. I'm not talking about laying someone out verbally. I'm just saying we had something that was important to us and we locked it down because we were just fearful of what others may think. We lock up clearing the air with someone out of fear of conflict or misunderstood feelings, and I see that a lot. Conflict's never easy. It's awkward. It's tough. But we sort of go in emotional lockdown when we have these issues. We need to clear the air with people because we just don't want to face the tough conversation. Or we lock up when it comes to opening our heart and soul to this fresh experience of God's presence for fear of what might happen or how we might need to change. So the question I pose and I think about myself is, where have you gone on lockdown in your life out of fear? In your relationships, maybe in your marriage, in your spiritual journey, in your willingness to be your true self, your most authentic self. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that as much as we try, we can't lock the living Christ out. The good news is our locked doors can't keep Christ from entering our life and offering us joy and peace just as he did in this passage that Kevin read. The living and resurrected Christ transcends our sort of lockdown lifestyle, our locked-out hearts, and offers us peace, that sense of shalom, that wholeness, and that sense of well-being. Just read that passage over and over again. Jesus comes into their midst and offers them joy and peace. I don't know why John picked those two out, but I have to think it's because it's the two most basic qualities I think we hunger for in our life. 
joy and peace. I think if we could live with a deep sense of joy and peace through anything, we could pretty much make it through anything. And then it says, which is kind of reminiscent of Genesis, Jesus does what? He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. It's as if he is breathing life back into them again. God breathed life into the first man and woman. And here in John, you have Jesus breathing life back into the disciples. And when there is life, there is joy. And when there is life, there is peace. Jesus is breathing life back into these disciples who are living out of fear. And that's a lot of what I often need and want in my life, is Jesus breathing life back into me in my most fearful moments, in the moments when my life goes on lockdown. And it's that joy and that peace that Jesus breathes back into me that enables me to kind of step out and step forward again. Now, I only say that just to say that's a very key piece to our spiritual journey. And I'll just put it very simply and very plainly. How real is Jesus to us? How real is Jesus to you in your life, in your circumstances, in what you wrestle with? More than just a theory, more than just an explanation, but a living reality that breathes life back into us again. Joyce Rupp, who is a spiritual director and writer, offers these words. Love entered the room and free the disciples' inner barriers. No matter how fortified or unyielding the door is, the divine comes to bring freedom and peace. And this compassionate presence urges us to be less anxious, less defensive, less hostile, less self-deprecating, less promoting of ourself, less glued to protective postures and set ways of thinking. So love in the person of Christ enters our lives to free us, from our own inner barriers to bring us freedom and peace. Now, I mentioned another door. I'm going to make this transition very quickly and then begin to wind down. There's another door in Revelation. Revelation 3.8. He is the one who has the key of David. He opens the door and no one can shut them. He shuts doors and no one can open them. I know all the things you do, Jesus says, and I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. Now, I just... I keep reflecting on that, how Christ opens and shuts doors in our life. And it's our calling to discern the doors that have shut and move on, as well as the doors that have opened and to step through them. In a monthly meeting this past week, I shared about how we as a meeting, I feel, can enter into this time now of discovery and discernment. As we seek to discern the doors, God is opening for us, as well as the ones that have been shut. And it's all about change. Life is changing. Our community is changing. Even our meeting in many ways is changing. That's not bad. But when there's change, doors open up for us to be able to see and to step into them. And in many ways, doors close behind us as we start to let go of something and begin to move forward into this new future that God asks for us, invites us into. I sort of themed it open doors and not trying to be kitschy, but it just feels like we're in a place where we can begin to explore these open doors. So this is the theme I'm going to revisit over the next few weeks. We'll be gone next week. But this theme of open doors in our life. What are the open doors in your life? What are the open doors in our life here as a medium? Where are we maybe 
locking down out of fear? Where are we simply staying stuck because we're fearful to take that next step? I want to close with a story. And it's from this author named Joyce Rupp. Now, I want to just preface it this way. Joyce Rupp is a wonderful writer on the spiritual life. And she's a spiritual director. She's not given to melodrama. And you'll understand why I say that um, when I read the story. But she is not given to melodrama. But she shares this very poignant, powerful story about open doors. And I'll just read it as it is. As I was writing this book, I invited visitors to my website to submit stories about doors they had either read about or personally experienced. One of the most profound submissions came from the mother of a 12-year-old daughter. This child, Mary Catherine Lytle, wrote the following unedited poem on the night before she was struck by an automobile in 1982. The accident was on March 17th, and she passed away on March 25th. Now, remember, she wrote this poem before that ever happened. Her poem contains immense wisdom regarding our journey of spiritual growth. Read it or hear it first from the precious heart of a 12-year-old, and then hear it again as a lesson for your own heart. Here's what this 12-year-old girl had to write. Look at me. I am walking through a door. My life is changing and it's just perfect now. No more doors for me. They're too hard to get through. I'm staying where it's safe. No, child. Those doors are part of you. You can't ignore them because they're there. You've got to go through them. Who knows what you'll find? You've got to meet their trial. If you don't, you won't be what you should become. There are always going to be doors, and you can't stop them from coming. You've got to go through them to grow. It's called change. Look at the wildflower. It changes all the time, always blossoming or closing up, sprouting or withering. You're scared to go through those doors into the unknowing, into change. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what change is going to bring. Listen to me. Go through those doors with hope. Go through those doors knowing change is the future and you're part of it. You don't know what change is. That's why you're scared. Change is the sun booming over the horizon, scattering rays of hope to a new day. Change is a baby lamb meeting the world for its first time. Change is growing from a young child to a young woman. Change is beautiful. You will learn to love it. I hope you will. And I hope you do. Walk through those open doors.